we can't expect Sandra Bland to remain calm. That's what you just said. We can't. But she remained we, calm. She was calm. She started so that's calm, the thing. but then he, then he no, egged she her She was off. calm. But what racism doesn't like is when black people assert. Yes. When black people assert, then you're not calm. Well, if you had just remained calm. But that I'm not being not calm. I'm asserting yeah. yes. the fact that you can't do this. Mm-hmm. So why is that not remaining calm? Is because this country was built on black people diverting their eyes, saying yes, responding to girl and boy when they were 50 years old, doing labor that is unsubsidized and unpaid for, and being docile, showing as much teeth as possible and being fearful. That's considered calm in this country. Mm -hmm. And when you do anything other than that, you're not remaining calm. Welcome to Official Ignorance, the death and custody podcast, hosted by Dr. Roger Mitchell Jr. and Professor Jay Aronson. This is the story of Sandra Bland. I'm Dr. Roger Mitchell Jr., a forensic pathologist. And I'm Jay Aronson, a historian and human rights practitioner. And on this episode of Official Ignorance, the Death and Custody podcast, we discuss the challenges of policing and incarceration in a very unequal America. For our listeners, we've been talking through much of this issue surrounding death and custody and how the government has really been defiant almost mm-hmm. to making sure that we have the understanding of what's going on behind bars and, and with our carceral system and with our law enforcement. Yep. And um, today we have an opportunity to talk a little bit about a case that spans the entire spectrum of this continuum of pre-arrest, arrest, in custody, and the treatment or lack thereof, the uh, racism, um, a lot of elements in mm-hmm. this case that gives us an idea of areas where not only do we need data collection, but quite frankly, we need reform, right? We're not, yep. we don't talk much about reform outside of the data collection reform in our book, but this is a case where we spend a lot of time saying, hey, listen, if we can understand this case, then we can understand how to improve our overall criminal legal system as it relates to its treatment of individuals that come into its care. So, Jay, what's the case we're talking about today? This is the story of Sandra Bland. And the story is interesting for us on many levels. As you said, it highlights the totality of the problem. And that's the way that we frame it in the book. But it also happens in the state of Texas, which is interesting because Texas actually has one of the best systems for recording deaths in custody. And we spend a whole chapter in the book talking about the, wait, the history wait, wait, of- Wait, stop, stop right there. Say that again, because I don't think our listeners really Texas. heard that right. All right, well, I will repeat it. Texas, that state that we often think of as another country, has one of the best, if not the best, systems for recording deaths in custody in this country. Wow. It has a a unique history. Uh, The law that actually creates this system comes about 
at a moment in the politics in, of Texas in which the conservative Democratic Party there was losing votes to the conservative Republican Party. And so there was a, a kind of weird alignment of reformist liberal Democrats and conservatives in the now in the Republican Party who wanted to kind of show up the Democratic Party there. And so they decide in this moment that one of the things that they want to do is highlight the inadequacies of the criminal legal system in the state and show how it's corrupt and show how people are dying. And so you, you get this weird moment where uh, Republicans and Democrats come together to actually pass a death in custody bill. So now we know how many people die as a result of the criminal legal system in Texas. However, as we've been talking about the kinds of data that you get when you take a solely legal approach to this problem are not adequate to really understand the problem of death in custody from a public health perspective. And so that's one of the things that we need to kind of work through today, that there is a law, that it was strengthened in the aftermath of the death of uh, Sandra Bland, and that as it was strengthened, there was a, a kind of rear guard action to take away the teeth that the legislature wanted to, or, or that actually did add to the bill in that moment after Sandra Bland died. So you, you get additional uh, protections, you get additional support for people uh, who engage with the criminal legal system. And that was 2017 when that bill was passed. In 2023, there's an effort to remove all of those protections. And also to say that the state no longer has to uh, require an outside investigative body to investigate deaths that are deemed to be natural. And this hasn't passed yet, but as you know, the, the designation of a death as natural does not mean that there was no fault or that nothing could have been done to ensure that this person survived. And so um, we'll, we'll get into all of this over the course of our conversation today. Um, but it is ironic and it is somewhat important to understand the, the context in which Sandra Bland's death takes place, the investigation of her death takes place, and the policy disputes that are actually occurring right now in the state. If you've listened, if our listeners, if you get a chance, you know, Google or take a look and listen to um, the Sandra Bland arrest. Not only did we do the research, but we also listened to the tape and the writing of the chapter that we include Sandra Bland in. And even when we were, even when we were preparing today, um, you tapped out. You know, I'm I done. tapped out I, after I, a minute I, yeah, and a half or so. Yeah, I, I, yeah after a minute, it's an eight-minute piece that we watched, and you know, there's about 39 seconds that she's taping, but then the dash cam has, you know, there's several views, and then there's other law enforcement that arrive, um, and even our producer Brendan, in prep, said he he had to tap out um, and couldn't listen to the whole tape of her being arrested. Just the mere way she was being handled and how she really wasn't talked to like there was any respect of her as a human being no respect just control you know this particular law enforcement officer had to be in control no matter what no matter yep. what there's a time in the video where you know he comes back he's about to write the ticket she's smoking a cigarette and he says, are you okay? You seem upset. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm upset. 
It's a routine traffic stop. I pulled over because you were behind me. And then you tell me that I pulled over without signaling my change of lanes. It doesn't matter. Go ahead and give me my ticket. Yeah. You know, if you're going to give me my ticket. And he pauses. This I didn't catch before. Right. He pauses. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He pauses for a good amount of time. You know, at some point I'm going to go back and look at it and count the seconds in which he pauses. But I think it's a good 20 seconds he pauses. And 20 seconds is a long time. He pauses for about that. And she fills the gap of of pause, of silence and Mm -hmm. says, you know. She's talking to him. Yeah, why? go ahead. You know, you asked me. I told you Mm -hmm. the truth. Now I'm done. Yeah. He pauses some more. And then decides, what else can I do? What else can I say? to impart my control over this woman. Mm-hmm. What yeah. else can I do? I can almost see the gears turning. Yep. And he goes yeah. nonchalantly. Can you put that cigarette out? Yeah. And, because and I, I think, need this last bit of control over her. I, I think that you also have to watch the exchange. I think watching it is important as well. Uh, not over and over again, because it's quite frankly traumatic. But you have to understand that exchange within a much larger history, both Sandra Bland's history with law enforcement and also the history of Texas and the history of the racism that's inherent in law enforcement. Prairie View A&M is a HBCU, historically black college or university, uh, about an hour outside of Houston, Texas, to the northwest of Texas, if I remember correctly. Um, It's a place that has so many police and law enforcement agencies patrolling there. Um, Insignia happens to be a state trooper. So in addition to the uh, the state trooper, Prairie View has its own university police force. The city of Prairie View has its police force. The county, Waller County, has a sheriff. And there are also Texas Rangers, which is a, a unique law enforcement agency in, in Texas. So this is a place, and, and there are probably other city agencies that that roll through on their way from here or there. Um, So you have to understand that there are five different law enforcement agencies, at least, and probably more, patrolling all the time. Sandra Bland had had run-ins with police in the past, um, and she spent time in Houston and had run-ins there. And listen, uh, she violated laws that were on the books and had mental health issues that probably led her to, uh, you know, not always make the best decisions in the context of her interactions. Um, But she had many, many interactions. So as a lot of African-Americans, Jay, so we don't want at any point in this to make Sandra Bland look like that any of this was her fault. Right. So I I think we need to stay away from talking about her past law enforcement interactions. They have no bearing on what happened to her. Zero. uh, I think I actually think they do because I think it sets her up to be pissed when she gets picked up and to say, "Oh my God, not again! I haven't done but see, anything that's, wrong." That's yeah. the thing about it is, is that anybody would have been pissed, even if they yes. had, yeah. even if they had no interactions with law enforcement before. If it, if it was you that got pulled over, yeah. If it was you that got pulled over that day and this so-called mental health disorder that that you may or may not have or law enforcement interactions that you may or may not have, you would have been pissed. You'd be like, why are they pulling me over? Yeah, but I wouldn't have had a history with 
the law enforcement agent and law enforcement in this place. And I probably, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been pulled over and I would, and, and the guy probably would have given me a warning, but I well, don't think the, that this I, this is the point. So let me, yeah. let me tell you, let me yeah. tell you that um, I had no history with law enforcement in a way that you're suggesting. Right. But I've been pulled over and put on the street before and handcuffed mm -hmm. um, because I was walking around black. And I remember one time I was driving with my three kids and my wife um, and I hope we're still recording because this is we are. good. We're recording. Right? Yeah, so, we're so I was driving with my wife and my kids. We were in a minivan, a mm -hmm. minivan. Um, and I did the same thing. I was in Texas. This was right outside of Pearland. And I went through a, a light. It was yellow. And then I moved over because my kids were playing in the back and, you know, it was distracting. So I was mm -hmm. in the fast lane. I said, I got to move over. And then I'm, you know, kind of yelling in the back. Hey, guys, come on. You know, we're almost home. Mm -hmm. Stop it. So the guy kind of goes, whoop, whoop. And, and I said, oh, okay. So I, um, so I pull over. And he gets out the car. And he comes up. And he says, uh, license registration. I give it to him. He says, you know, I stopped you. I said, no, I don't know why you stopped me. Why'd you stop me? He said, because you failed the signal. And I said, oh, you know, you know, my fault. My kids are acting up. So I, so I pulled over a little bit so that people could go past while I drove and, and talked to my kids. And he said, well, don't do it again. What? I said, why, why are you screaming at me in this car? He said, what do you mean, why are you screaming at me in this car? I said, listen, man, I know you're a young police officer, but you don't need to be screaming at me in front of my wife and kids like I did something extremely wrong. If you're going to give me a ticket, give me a ticket. Mm -hmm. And so, so that frustration, because of the disrespect, comes mm -hmm. into play. Just yeah. like that. Just I like totally that. So agree. I just want to yeah. point that. Yeah. I want to yeah. point that out because... You know, Sandra Bland was a, and, and Sandra Bland is my sister. My sister yeah. has had no issues with law enforcement. But if you, if you talk stupid to her, she's going to be like, what did you just say to me? Yeah. You know, and I would she's never my do wife. that. Yeah. And, my and I would wife, never and, do and, that. Yeah. No. And, and you see what I'm saying? And if my yeah. wife, if, if this guy pulled my wife over, my wife doesn't smoke cigarettes, but my wife would be nonchalant. Just, okay, give me the ticket, please. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You're yeah. visibly upset. Yes, I'm upset because yeah. you pulled me over for no reason. I got something to do. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, I do think that that's conditioned on a much longer history of engagement with police and with policing, because my response would be to smile and shut the hell up and not say anything and not fight back because this would be my first or second interaction. I've had, I've had one I mean, I, you know this, but I've had one interaction with police. I was speeding on the highway. My dog was in the back. My baby, my first kid was in the back and my wife was there. And the baby was crying because we needed to change his diaper. I got pulled over. I said, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry, sir. My son is crying. We need to um, pull over and change his diaper. You know, he, he pooped or whatever. And the guy was like, no worries. You know, I'll give you a warning. You're, and we were moving from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania. And he said, it probably won't even show up on your record. Don't worry. And that's my interaction. And so I'm not conditioned to be angry. 
And I, th- no, I do but think even, it matters. But, but, but even, even, so every time, if you have to move through this country, and this goes to your conditioning, right? So even that word kind of throws me. But, but, but even if you have to move through this country and you have to show your freedom papers every time that you mm-hmm. move, Right, you have to legitimize yeah. your need, your your existence. I uh, yes. Right, yeah. and then and then now now this is really where I think we were going, um, mm-hmm. and and where we go in the book is that she's an activist by now, mm-hmm. right? Very so much. Sandra yeah. Bland's an activist now, right? By now, she's 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 learned. That's why she knew that she didn't have to get out the car. You know, she had been trained. Um, yep. There's an emboldened yes. black person in this country yeah. right now, right? Yeah. During her time and even today. She knows her rights. That's and, right. And so I'm and I'm gonna take this in a slightly different direction. And then I don't know if I don't know if this is the direction that we want to go. And this is why I think the system is unreformable. That's mm. my ultimate Come take. On, talk about it. I do not believe that we can create a policing system in this country that with the with the the uh with the tools or with the you know with the material that we have available today that can help us get past this history and so the the fact that we have this very 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 long history of racist policing in this country we're not going to tweak our way out of it we're not going to i, I can't say that i know the answers I can only say that that I I only I only want to spend my time imagining a different future, not a future that's mildly uh, improved from the one that we have today. And so my my point about Sandra Bland being conditioned to speak back to police comes from her understanding, her enlightenment about the role that police play in this country. She knows that they're not stopping her to keep anyone safe. She knows that they're not stopping her because she's done anything wrong. And it, it, it creates a situation in which that's really the only reaction that she can have. And the police officer, this trooper, if he was well-trained and if he actually cared, he would have de-escalated that situation. Oh, absolutely. But he didn't. But he didn't. No, because he because wanted Because he control. was getting what he wanted. He was getting exactly what he wanted. And the, the, the situation where he knows that he can rile her up and he wants a fight, he's, he's itching for a fight with Sandra Bland. And he knows, he knows that all he has to do is poke her a little bit and then he's going to get the fight that he wants. He's going to get yeah. to take her to jail. Well, he, he's going he to get to pull her out of the He did more than poke her. He grabbed her. He took her. He dropped her to the ground. He he fought her. He beat her up. He wanted to. That's what he wanted. He and that's wanted the to beat this have. woman up. And that's really where I think um, where it irritates me and it, and, and it really in, infuriates me. And I know in this kind of post-enlightened world, um, there there should be no, you know, gender issues or or gender protections. Um, but as a husband and a father of a daughter, I'm hard pressed for you to grab my wife or my daughter and slam her to the ground like that. That just, that the fact that we couldn't protect Sandra Bland 
And when I say we, the black men in this country, um, her boyfriend, her father, whoever it is, her cousins, that she couldn't be protected from this guy who decided he wanted to be a bully and beat her up. And this is before we get into a carceral system that then you talk about needing reform versus abolition uh, of this carceral system that has this bail system that a small amount of bail that's required will keep you in jail for just this minor infraction. Uh, and the fact that our bail system um, would, if you have money, we talked about this before, if you have money, then you can post the money that's necessary and you're not spending one night in jail. Yep. But if you don't have the $500, then guess what? You got to stay several days in jail because it's hard to get the $500 to get you out. And now we're talking about a mental health issue that's looming its head, right? Now Sandra Bland, because she doesn't have the resources mm -hmm. um, and the family doesn't have the resources to get her out, now her mental health issues are showing themselves in an environment where the screening for her mental health and the physical exam that's supposed to be done to assess um, the parameters of her mental health never really occur. So mm -hmm. there are yeah. no protections in the Sandra Bland case to protect her from the suicide uh, that occurred. And, and we saw this in the RAND a study that I was part of and looked at care behind bars and the fact that many of these local jails don't have the standards or they don't follow their standards. They're, mm -hmm. they're shortcuts, right? Yeah. They sign documents before they actually do their rounds. Yep. Right. And we we found that in the San, in yep. Sandra Bland's case yep. is that they actually yep. signed the document that suggested they did their whatever every 15 minutes. Yep. They pre-signed it before they did it. Um, and they filled and out the out, round sheet in advance yeah. of actually doing the rounds and then never did the rounds. And then never did the rounds. Yeah. So this bail system, I think, is something that, to your point, can we piecemeal it? Well, we're sure talking about it, right? We're talking about yeah. collecting the data first and then utilizing the data to be able to inform our prevention and inform our improvements. But I agree with you. You know, sometimes I do feel like our criminal legal system is so far gone that it needs to be restructured, completely torn down and built again. Um, but the reimagined, I think that's the word of the day. I think we do need yeah. to be reimagining how we treat our people. Um, people, in they're human beings. Law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I learned doing research for this chapter was that Sandra Bland had spent time in Harris County Jail the county that encompasses Houston, um, after she graduated from Prayer View and was coming back to Prayer View because she wanted to work there. Um, she felt like it was home more than where she grew up. And before she left Texas the first time, she spent a few nights in jail. Why did she spend a few nights in jail? Because she had traffic fines that she could not afford to pay. And I don't know if this is a Texas thing or a Harris County thing, but you can do what's called sit out your fines. You can expose yourself to the dirt and the disease and the trauma of jail in order to pay off fines. 
So you sit out $100 worth of fines a night. Mm. And so she, in order to not have a, you know, a lingering criminal record, in order to make her, whatever she did, I, I can't remember the, the nature of the traffic fines, um, whatever it was, she actually exposed herself to that environment so she would not have a criminal record when she left. And to me, I mean, first of all, it was something that I had never heard of. It was something that I couldn't even conceive of. And it just, it's, it's yet another example of a system that's irredeemable. The, the thing that I hope that comes out of the data that we collect is that decarceration is the only answer to our problem. We can't make this deadly environment better. Obviously, we can make it less deadly, but we can't turn a prison or a jail into a positive experience for someone who has done wrong, who requires some support or some care so that they can be reintegrated into society. I just, I personally don't see that. Well, see, that's the point, right? The point in how you listed what the reimagined jail system is, is indeed that, right? It is a system that goal is to reintegrate the individuals that come in to the point in which they can be redeemed and learn the skills to be able to integrate from a professional standpoint, from a social and emotional standpoint, uh, from a physical health standpoint. I often say that these carceral systems until they realize that they're really just big hospitals with safety issues or safety concerns versus seeing themselves as this punitive environment, that's when it's able to serve its citizenry. Understanding the majority of these crimes are going to be property crimes, right? I mean, there, there are violent crimes, and, and those violent crimes, maybe there's some more work that we have to do with the individuals that engage with the violent crimes. But, but Sandra Bland is an example of someone who didn't do anything. She did nothing. Nothing. Zero. There is no argument for changing lanes when there is no other cars coming. The only vehicle behind you is a law enforcement vehicle. You move over without signaling. That is a nothing. It is a zero. And to your point, then placed into a violent environment. And that violent environment is in the form of the carceral system and that carceral system really playing itself out in a way that became fatal. You know, one of the things that uh, we, we talk about in the book is the, the complexity of race and gender and the fact that mental health is not something that's supported in law enforcement. But after Sandra Bland's death, there was some movement, mm -hmm. you know, to yeah. develop law that looked at the conditions of the carceral system also the interactions and what law enforcement can do when they had particular uh, interactions like they had with Sandra Bland. They had very minimal infractions. Uh, and this law, I think, goes a long way to be able to reform a system in Texas. Yeah, I would say that the Sandra Bland Act made some modest changes, uh, including around there were some changes to jail procedures, some changes to the way that the deaths that occurred in custody were investigated. The original proposals were much more strong, 
I mean, they were still reforms around the edges, but around trying to stop the death of Sandra Bland or the, the next death of Sandra Bland at the moment of first interaction. So the, it, there were some public health oriented uh, uh, suggestions or um, uh, recommendations made. They weren't actually put into law. So the the part the parts of the law that were really meant to prevent Sandra Bland from coming into contact with the criminal legal system. And if she did get pulled over, that she gets her warning, she gets her ticket, and she goes on her way because the officers who are pulling people like her over are supposed to be trained to de-escalate and say, hey, listen, I'm not here to argue with you. I don't want to pull you out of your car. You know, I'm doing my job. I'm enforcing the law. I don't love all the laws, but I enforce them. I need to do this. And then I'm going to go on my way. You're going to go on your way. If you disagree, you know, let's have a hearing about it. Those were the kinds of things that we would have liked to have seen, or even stronger, don't make the stop at all. That didn't happen in the way that it should have. So you get these modest changes. And from the very beginning, there has been an effort to pull them back. And so one of the things that we're seeing is that there are proposals on the books now, haven't been passed, but I can imagine them being passed, that if the death in custody in question is deemed natural, then you don't need to have any kind of investigation. You just call it a natural death and move on. And, and so that, that, again, that gives a death investigator, coroner, or whoever else is involved, a medical examiner, medical from, examiner. A nearby, yeah. Yeah, from, from a nearby uh, jurisdiction, if they're called in, to say, hey, this was a natural death. This was a heart attack. You know, this or person was, had. Or was sickle cell trait. Or sickle cell, sickle cell trait. This person had a predisposition. You know, we're not going to inquire into what conditions were also occurring at the same time that this death occurred. And then you just, you know, we, ha- we have the same problem. We don't really know what's going on. Um, you know, your, your, your point in, and I appreciate you bringing that up, was that, you know, the, the fact that natural cases would not be investigated in a way uh, to ensure, I guess, reliability, to ensure the protection of individuals that are incarcerated. That gives so much more power. I mean, coroners and medical examiners have a huge amount of power a huge amount of power, not just in carceral deaths or death in custody, but in every single death. I mean, you know, when, when a coroner or a medical examiner says what the cause and manner of death is, that's the cause and manner of death. And that's why it's so important to have review of these deaths uh, by a multidisciplinary panel. We talk about the need for uh, panel reviews of death in custody Um, And that's why it's so important for us to help people understand the differences and the impact of the manner of death, right? We know that there's five manners, um, homicide, suicide, accident, natural, and undetermined. And we talk about deaths at the hands of unknown persons, which is today's undetermined when it comes to death in custody. But that natural death it's it's difficult to get investigations in natural deaths that occur in the carceral system, even without the call out that they won't investigate these natural mm-hmm. deaths when they occur. That's the current state. If a medical examiner or a coroner calls a case a natural, then it does not get much mm-hmm. um, 
a much, yeah. much play, you know, or much investigation. And people would like to say, well, it doesn't matter what the manner is. I mean, if there's something for law enforcement to look into, they will. But that's not the truth. No, it's the reality not. of it is, is that there needs to be a signal to law enforcement and investigative bodies that this death happened and was the responsibility of some other person. Some other person was involved in this death, mm -hmm. right? And that's really the definition of a homicide. And so there's a recent case in Fulton County, Georgia, where a young man was infested with body lice and he lost a, a lot of weight and he did not have in his system his schizophrenia meds and he was filthy i mean thousands of body lice and the fulton county medical examiner originally called it undetermined and then i got involved asked by know your rights and ben mm -hmm. crump uh to get involved and take a look at the case and we looked at the case reviewed everything um, and it was my conclusion that he died from complications of severe neglect. Mm -hmm. And those complications of that neglect was so heinous um, yeah. and so blatant that I called it a homicide. But for the actions of the caregiver, he wouldn't have died. Yeah. So I called it a homicide, similar to what I would call in an elder abuse case. If this mm -hmm. had happened in someone's home and their loved one um, didn't take care of them, similar if it was a child. And that child didn't get the care. Very similar rationale for calling it a homicide. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, that turned into a federal probe into the Fulton County Jail. Uh, yep. But for this designation as a homicide and severe neglect as the cause, there is no Department of Justice federal probe mm -hmm. into this death of an individual that has a natural cause, but a homicidal manner. Mm -hmm. And so these are the complexities that uh, I'm glad we, we're talking about because the lay public, our listeners, uh, they're not getting these type of distinctions from general media. I think that's the importance yep. of the podcast and importance exactly. of the book. Exactly. I, and I think we, we lay that out in, in great detail in the book that natural cause doesn't signify an unproblematic manner and that we need whenever someone's autonomy is taken away from them, we need to recognize that they are particularly vulnerable. And as a public health matter, we need to take extra care when understanding what happens to them. And that is the definition of incarceration is that you no longer have liberty, you no longer have autonomy someone becomes responsible for all of your needs, both the most basic and the most complex. And that when you uh, feel that you need something, you have to wait for that system to deliver it to you. Mm. And that's why the, uh, the, the kind of reforms to the death investigation system that you're talking about, that you've been talking about for so long are so important. You know, Roger, there's one other thing that I think uh, I wanted to talk about in the context of Sandra Bland, um, and it was something that you mentioned earlier, and that's the role that race and gender play in all of this. When we think of criminals in this country, um, we have a picture in our head. We've been conditioned to think of black men as the kind of standard criminal, 
um, uh, at least in urban contexts. But that's not the reality, number one. And number two, women are the fastest growing population of incarcerated people in this country. Um, Black women in particular are more likely to be incarcerated than white women. Um, Women in general are uh, increasingly coming into contact with the criminal legal system. And what's a little bit counterintuitive is that while black women are more likely to be incarcerated, the, the rate at which the population of white women who are incarcerated is growing much, much faster than the rate of black women. Black women have been criminalized for longer, um, but for a variety of reasons, the, the rules that the laws that have been passed Um, particularly around drug use and increasingly probably around access to women's health services, um, we're going to see more and more white women being incarcerated. And this is yet another example of you can think of particular populations of people as being signal populations or sensors. And the kind of uh, abuse and neglect that we've wrought on Black people, Black women in this country, are increasingly being felt by others. And this might be a case like opioids, where in a few years, suddenly we have a massive uh, uh, call to decarcerate in the same way that we've had a massive call to decriminalize certain kinds of drug use. But we need to look at Sandra Bland and, and not just see this as a single tragic event, but this is a signal to us that the kind of abuse and neglect that have long been perpetrated upon certain populations are going to be more broadly felt in the future. Um, It's horrible to even have to say that because I hate that argument that, well, you know, that we've been doing terrible things to one population for a long time and we should start to care when it, when it happens to another. But that's the reality that these are things that more people in this country are going to see happen to their loved ones and their family members. And and I'd like us not to get to that point, obviously, um, but it highlights the ways that uh, the criminal legal system harms women. If you look at what's happening, we see that the, that the harms are being felt by larger and larger numbers of people or kinds of people in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we are in a position now where this topic even today is impacting so many communities and the communities that it's impacting is waiting for a voice, is waiting for someone to talk about it. I was uh, talking about uh, the podcast and the book just recently. And one of the guys that I was talking to, Jay, said to me, he said, you're doing what? And I said, yeah, you know, we have a book coming out. You should take a look at it. It's called Death and Custody, How America Ignores the Truth and What We Can Do About It. You know, associated podcast called Official Ignorance, the Death and Custody Podcast. And he and he said to me, he said, you know, my biological father died in custody about 10 years ago. And my family really didn't want to do anything. We didn't get a second autopsy. And this guy owns his own business. I mean, he's... You know, people are walking around with these stories Mm -hmm. across all demographics, across all social and economic status. They're walking around with these stories. And I really want our listeners to tell your story. 
I want us to mm-hmm. tell our story about your loved one that died in custody, your uncle, your cousin, your aunt. I, I want everyone to tell their story because it's not until we, you know, take the shame off of the fact that we have loved ones in the carceral system first. And then second, to know that your loved one died in the carceral system and no one apparently cared or there was no resources that was made available. You know, those are the types of stories that we need to tell because it is, it's in those stories and the diversity, to your point, Jay, the diversity of the people telling the stories is where we can put pressure for us to have complete visibility and transparency surrounding these deaths. The whole point is that we we refuse to allow for the names to not be said. Hashtag say her name. Mm-hmm. The social media swell surrounding Sandra Bland was just as important as the proposed legislation, if not more important. For us to talk about mental health in carceral systems, the lack of protections, the racism and issues surrounding gender, all of the things that we talked about because of hashtag say her name. We are trying to get other names to be said. And it's very similar to the red record. Mm -hmm. Ida B. Wells refused to let the names of her friends go in vain. And it turned into her saying a whole bunch of names and and bringing attention to a whole bunch of circumstances surrounding uh, lynching deaths. And that's what we need to do here. There needs to be a groundswell of individuals that are willing to tell the stories about how individuals have died. We just tell a handful of stories yep. in our book of advocates and activists and journalists and families and victims. Um, but there's so many more stories out there that need to be told in order for our government to pay attention and care about this issue of death in custody. Agreed. Um, the only other question that I have is how, so when I was, when I was talking about um, the, the interactions, I was, I was saying that Sandra Bland has a context. This didn't happen. This wasn't the first time she was pulled over. This wasn't a person who knew nothing about the criminal legal system. She had had many interactions. She was bitter about them and angry about them. And she understood the history of the system. So my point is that it's almost impossible for her not to react because but, of... And, and, and the point, and let me just tell you, if I'm reacting this way, Jay, it's yeah. because it's real. So everything you're saying suggests she should not have reacted that way, that she should have been docile in that situation, and that her response to that is the reason why she was in the situation, she was in the jail. It goes all the way. You may not think you're saying that, but I'm telling you, by bringing up the fact that she's had history and, and that she reacted as if she should not have reacted that way. And if she didn't, because she had this history, then maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. That's what you're saying. And that is yeah, through I, the I lens. That. I you're that. programmed yeah. for that lens. And yeah. I'm here well, to say that we yeah. cannot but, say that. We will not my, okay. say that. I totally get we that. My, my, yeah, no, I totally get that. But my or, point, or the argument yeah. or all of this should be played. 
right? So yeah. that people know that yeah. I'm checking that because yeah. I cannot have it. Because at the end of the day, she's allowed to respond any way she wants under every context. She's allowed. She didn't do anything other than say, I'm not putting out my cigarette. Which and is everybody which is, yeah. should be allowed to do that. White, which black, is exactly don't make yeah. no difference. Uh, which is exactly why the system is irredeemable. That we, well, I mean, yeah. But, but that, the system is insinu- irredeemable, even if that was her first interaction with law enforcement. But it wasn't. But, and but my it doesn't point is matter. We're not, we're not going to fix the system. My, my point is that we're not going to fix the system because Insinia was looking for that fight. And it's very difficult for someone who's been, been abused by the system for so long to just take it. But we've, because- all, but we've all been abused by the system for so long. I have been. Brendan yeah, has. I agree. We've we all been. So have you. And we're not going to reason- fix the system. The, the reason why yeah. you, you wrote this book is because you, you connect with the abuse uh, of the system. We all understand the historical framework. It's yeah. not her individual historical framework that somehow made her react in a way that if she didn't react that way, then Encino wouldn't have had the fuel to be able to pull her out the car. I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going to push back as, as, as many times as you want to suggest it. I'm going to push back. Uh, yeah. Uh, so she should be able to react however she wants. And Insinia should be trained to deescalate. And the argument that many reformers would make is that all we need to do is we, we need to A, get rid of the Insinias, and we need to B, train the people we hire to deescalate. But my point is the system is set up in a way that we can't do that. It works the way that it's supposed to work. And until we fundamentally change the way that we think of safety, that we don't have five law enforcement agencies patrolling the same street, literally, then we're not going to reform our way out of this problem. We can't we can't expect people like Sandra Bland to remain calm after so many horrible interactions and understanding the history. And we can't expect our police systems to be non-racist and just in, in the way that they've been created. And so, so I, I agree with everything that you're saying. Yeah. We can't expect Sandra Bland to remain calm. That's what you just said. We can't. But she remained we, calm. She was calm. She started so calm, the but then he, then he no, egged her on. Yeah. She was calm. She was calm. But she was yeah. calm. Yeah, that's true. Even that part is true. when she was asked about her cigarette, she was calm when she got out and was, um, uh, I'm calm right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? But, yeah. but what racism doesn't like is when black people assert. Yes. When black people assert, then you're not calm. Well, if you had just remained calm, but that I'm not being not calm. I'm asserting yeah. yes. the fact that you can't do this. Mm-hmm. So, so why is that not remaining calm? Is because this country was built on black people diverting their eyes, saying yes, responding to girl and boy when they were 50 years old, doing labor, 
that is unsubsidized and unpaid for um and 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 being docile and a cartoon yeah. every time you interact with them showing as much teeth as possible and being fearful that's considered calm in this country mm-hmm. and when you do anything other than that you're not remaining calm because you've had a history of x y and z and let me just tell you mm-hmm. it is in itself racist to suggest that she wasn't calm because she was Mm-hmm. She was absolutely, I'm smoking a J. Yeah. The reason why I sparked my J is because I'm getting irritated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me smoke yeah. this because this guy right here pulled me yeah. over for nothing. I'm smoking the J. And I'm, you know, and, and, and now you want to ask me while I'm upset? Guess what? Mm-hmm. I'm upset because you're crazy. Yeah. I'm upset because I shouldn't be in this situation. No, yeah, I'm this, not putting my cigarette yeah. out. So, so, yeah. so all of that is her remaining calm. I just wanted to point that out because that's everything is true but she had no hand zero zero hand in what happened to her she didn't do it zero and anything any language that suggests that she did is racist in itself it is a lie she did not do it she did not do it so i will protect her like i i I should have protected her when he put his hands on her mm -hmm. do you see what i'm saying oh yeah because yeah they shouldn't put he shouldn't even put his hands on her yeah, so I, I'm just going to say the at the beginning of the podcast, I admitted to my racism because I have grown up in this country as a white person. So I'm, I'm just going to own that. I am reading the situation not objectively. I'm reading it through Insinia's eyes because those, are, those eyes are my eyes. And when I was using the word calm, I actually... When you just said, you know, when you just said that, I realized that I was using the word calm in the kind of uh, slavery, Jim Crow era parlance of don't talk back to me. Don't assert your humanity. Don't do anything that I, as a white person, deem to be aggressive, even if you're just explaining yourself, answering my question. So I'm going to own that. And I don't have any response to that. I'm just saying no, it's it's, yeah. it's all love, Jay, because at yeah. the end of the day, you and I are, are working through this in a way that it will free other people. Mm-hmm. No, I hope. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, that's all we can do is hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But one thing that I'm learning in this process is that I will I will not be silent. This whole thing is all about whether or not. I'm willing to be silent in an environment where I've seen death and custody handled by medical examiners improperly. Am I now in a position to be probably the country's leading expert in death and custody? How do I respond? Mm-hmm. So, so how do, how, how do I respond? Right. Mm-hmm. How do I make sure that I'm not silent? Just like Sandra mm-hmm. Bland wasn't. Um, and that's what it's going to take, man. It's going to take for us. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose of this podcast is for us to, uh, to challenge uh, the status quo, to challenge mm-hmm. our law enforcement organizations, to challenge this country into gathering very simple data surrounding how people are dying in custody so we can have these larger conversations about how we either reform or abolish the system. 
Uh, yeah, I. So I think our our time is coming to an end. I'm just gonna thank you for checking me. Um, thank you for speaking the truth. And and I think one of the things that's come out of our conversations over the past six years and our friendship is that, you know, I've learned so much from you about what it means to exist as a, a black person in this country. Um, I've learned a lot about my own racism. I, I think this is not the first time that I've said something in a way that I think is uh, helpful or charitable and have been called out for the racism that, I, I mean, I don't really think I have any uh, choice. You know, I, 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 I can, I can constantly uh, make myself aware of the world. I can learn and do, but I am, I am programmed to see the world in a certain way because I grew up white in this country. And I guess that's where my, you know, and, and I'm just going to out myself at this point. My goal in writing the book was not to provide data for reform. My goal was to show that the system is is irredeemable and that we need to really like reimagine not in like, oh, we need non-racist police or oh, we need to to add services to our jails. We need to fundamentally think about what it means to be safe for all people in this country to be safe. And until we do that, we're going to have way too many deaths in custody in this country. Um, and, you know, I want a first step for us to actually know what's happening. Um, but I don't think we're going to fix this by enacting a few reforms here and there based on evidence. I think we have to just rebuild the system from scratch. We obviously need a, a system that provides safety. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But the one that we have now, because of the fact that even someone like me is racist to the core in a lot of ways, um, you know, means that I just don't have hope for uh, modest fixes here and there. So I, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to thank you for once again, pointing out the, the blind spots that I have uh, and say until next time, see you later. Love you, Jay. Love you too, man. You are listening to Official Ignorance, the Death in Custody podcast.